With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. You're listening to Insight, a show about empowering our community. I'm Lorraine ballard Marl. We've got lots to cover today. The organization that produced Philly's Pride Parade and Outfest has shut down suddenly, only to be replaced by a group that promises to be more diverse and inclusive. We talked to a member of Gangsta Grass, a bluegrass and hip-hop group that wowed the judges on America's Got Talent. But first, Bill Cosby. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court issued a ruling striking down Bill Cosby's 2018 sexual assault conviction. It said charges against Cosby were illegally brought in light of an unwritten deal he had struck with the former district attorney in Montgomery County, Bruce Castor. Joining us right now is Keir Bradford Gray, former chief defender of the Philadelphia Defender's Office and now a partner at Montgomery McCracken Walker and Rhodes. Can you kind of break down what exactly was the reason why this ruling came down. So, of course, on an appeal, which uh, Cosby's lawyers appealed, they appealed these issues to the Supreme Court, well, up the channels, and it finally made it to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court did was looked at the information at the time that Cosby made admissions against his Fifth Amendment privilege and the reasons why he did that. And although there was nothing in writing or uh, any information that would give us any understanding as to why Bruce Castor made this, I guess, promise not to prosecute if he gave his Fifth Amendment privilege up and discussed information in a civil deposition, he actually testified that that was very accurate, that that was the contractual, if you want to call it, because it's basic contract law, that was the the, uh, promise that he gave in exchange for Cosby being more open and honest about his role in some of these offenses. And so the Supreme Court said when someone is enticed to give up their Fifth Amendment right to self-incrimination based on a promise by a law enforcement actor who has the authority to bring charges or not, that should be honored. That is really basic contractual uh, law, and it's it's really rooted in really deep legal analysis and has any, nothing to do with the substantive complaints, but everything to do with how the law has to work for fundamental fairness process. I think the thing that maybe folks are focusing on is the fact that it was a verbal agreement and not a written agreement. There's nothing in writing that Bruce Castor produced. He says, I made a judgment as the sovereign representative of the Commonwealth not to prosecute Cosby. I was the only person in Pennsylvania who had the power to make that decision, and I made it. Did he have the power to do that? The answer is yes. I mean, when someone is looking at whether or not they're going to bring criminal charges, they're looking at the one, the opportunity or the ability to present credible evidence to secure a a conviction. Bruce Castor has repeatedly said he looked at all the evidence in totality and needed to figure out whether or not these the evidence by itself without Cosby's admissions would be enough to secure a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt. And remember that that standard is not light. It's not maybe he did something, probably he did something. It is beyond a reasonable doubt with credible facts and evidence that can be produced at trial. So he has the power to say, 
I'm not going to bring this case criminally because I cannot prove it. And remember, when I know that, you know, we're used to having things like this in writing and we should have things like this in writing so it can be examined if, in fact, the original person is no longer available to uh, testify or be present to say why he did something. But Bruce Castor was put on the stand to ask questions about what he did and why. And he confirmed that he actually did give that type of immunity to Bill Cosby in exchange for him saying things that would uh, definitely incriminate himself in a civil uh, deposition. Now, that is very odd. Most of the times, prosecutors do not interfere with civil litigation. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe Bruce Castle thought he was helping the victims get their financial remedy that they deserved. He did interject into the civil litigation and, and believe that he was doing so because he didn't want Bill Cosby to, to plead the fifth and therefore maybe impact the types of financial remedies that the victims could get. But we heard him on the stand. I mean, he was put on the stand. He was asked profusely, not just by uh, the district attorney, but I believe by the judge as well, Judge O'Neill. Um, did he make this promise? And he unequivocally said yes. So I think we have to, I don't know why we would see him not being credible. That's not something that one would want to admit that they did, but he did do it. So we have his word, which is pretty much the same in effect as him writing it down. So going forward, does that put the case to bed in the sense that it, it, you can't revisit it? There's no other recourse on that particular case, the case from which Cosby was convicted. So the Supreme Court, in a very unprecedented move, said that he, they are barred from bringing any more cases, any other case like this, meaning anything that Andrea Constant would say that he had done in this particular situation from bringing it back because he's been highly prejudiced by the information that came out that was not allowed or should not have been allowed to come out by rule of law. So no one can unforget the fact that he said that he used quaaludes. Um, no one can unforget all the things that came out from his own admissions that were, were barred. So you can never he can never have a fair fundamental trial. I think one of the things we have to look at, too, is moving forward. I mean, this I don't I can't remember the exact date this happened, but I know it was decades ago. And some of the things that one would have to consider, which is Kevin Steele, if he were to bring any other cases uh, against Cosby, is without Cosby's words that cannot be unheard and un ununderstood now, do they have a case that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Remember, memories have faded. Uh, it's been so long. Details are hard to remember. And of course, there's always the totality of the circumstances of behaviors that may be questioned to some people as to why you would continue to see him after you say that uh, he sexually assaulted him. I mean, no one can get in the head and mind of a person, but those things should be factored in when determining whether or not I have a strong case to prove beyond a reasonable doubt without Cosby's own admissions. Right. So that means that perhaps um, other cases that might be more recent cannot be litigated? It doesn't mean that. If you have independent evidence that has really nothing to do with those particular set of facts, which is going to be hard because everyone's pretty much saying the same thing. Uh, he gave me drugs. I, you know, passed out. Next thing you know, I woke up and I believe that he had done some things to me. His words that were used that should not, that should have been precluded, bear those things to light. So anything that touches upon whether or not he drugged someone for, for and, and, and engaged in sexual activity with them is going to be hard to bring absent the fact that we don't know that he admitted this in a civil deposition that 
you can't and you can't use that wipe out of your head right right you can't use it but also you can't ask the jury hey remember when we had this whole trial that went national and probably international where we put forth information about cosby's words we want you to forget about that you're never going to get a fun fair and impartial trial on that so the supreme court just sought to remedy the the fact that he would probably never get a fair and impartial trial because of that issue where these this information should have never come in. And can I say this, Lorraine, because I know that many people feel very devastated about the fact that they've gone through all this and they made they believe that right now was finally the moment that they were going to get vindication and then for it all to be taken away. Well, it's unfortunate when you have prosecutors that you got to understand what your parameters are and what you're putting people through, because if there's a there, there are checks and balances on prosecutors power, unfortunately, it comes far after the, the, the uh, trials have gone on. But there are. And you got to factor in if what I do now doesn't comport with the law and will it be overturned to the point where the victims now have been put through a lot and they may feel like, why did I go through all that? This certainly was one of the most prominent celebrity trials. There have been a number of cases that are very high profile and contributed to the Me Too movement. And I wonder if you had any thoughts about whether or not this particular turn of events might prevent someone from taking a case like that against someone who's very prominent. I wonder if there's a, what is that called? Chilling effect. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) A chilling effect on the potential for uh, further prosecution in other high or maybe not so high profile cases. Right. Well, you got to remember the the victims were believed. They were they secured a, a conviction. Whether or not they have nothing to do with the prosecutorial discretions and also the, how the law works and what the prosecutor decided to do, despite what the law is well rooted. So I hope it doesn't have a chilling effect. And, and we have to remember Harvey Weinstein was the same powerful guy where people came forward and they secured a conviction against him as well without using some of these other things that are present in this trial. So I think it's it's really a statement to say when people get together and decide they're going to be strong and be advocates for themselves, things do happen. Now, I, I understand that this technicality does set it back, but it, it really should not destroy the ability for victims who have been wrong to come forth because there is now a, a better progression and taking it seriously, listening and doing the things that they need to do to make sure that they get justice. Cosby's reputation is going to be forever damaged. That's not going to change no matter what the court ruling is. So they did serve some purpose in terms of what they wanted to bring out with respect to his behavior. Care Bradford Gray, former chief defender of the Philadelphia Defender's Office and also currently a partner at Montgomery. McCracken, Walker and Rhodes. Thank you so much for joining us and and untangling uh, the legal language around this Cosby conviction overturned. Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks for having me. Philly Pride, the organization behind Philadelphia's largest annual LGBTQ plus pride parade and festival for the last 28 years, suddenly canceled and dissolved all of its pride festivities last month after a controversial Facebook post about the Stonewall Uprising, which is marked as the birthplace of the modern LGBT rights movement. That post was criticized by some members of the community for using transphobic language and casting police officers as victims. Also, some members of the community have criticized the organization's lack of transparency, inclusion, and overall accountability. And so right now joining us is a Abdul Ali 
Mohammed, a West Philadelphia-based writer, organizer, and co-founder of the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative, and he has for years fought against racism in the Philadelphia neighborhood and worked to hold the Office of LGBT Affairs accountable to the concerns of many Black and Brown members of the community. I see that this has really become a tremendous opportunity to reframe all the activities around Pride. And I wonder if you can kind of update us on what's been going on since Philly Pride Presents disbanded. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Just a quick note, I am non-binary, so I use they, them pronouns. Okay. But thank you so much for having me on. Uh, in terms of updates, we had a meeting, and when I say we, I mean 50-plus community members from all sectors of our community, right? Folks who are nightlife promoters, um, drag performers, executive directors of organizations, people who are trans, people who are bi, people who are non-binary, people who are gay, people who are lesbian, and folks who identify as disabled or HIV positive. So there's so so many people from a cross-section of our, of our community who came together um, last week to form a new organization, essentially, that doesn't have a name yet. Uh, we have an upcoming meeting where we'll determine what our name is and the structure of that organization. But we came together to put uh, our foundational document, one of the first foundational documents together called Points of Unity, which is our shared values. And I'm really excited to have a pride that is actually inclusive and, and not gatekept by a small group of people in our community that is open to, to all. The pride flag, I understand, um, has additional colors that have made it more inclusive. And I understand that that started in Philly. So it's only right and proper that uh, that we have a pride uh, event and events that are more inclusive. In terms of the mission, I know that, first of all, you, you have kind of a tight turnaround to get organized around any kind of event that might happen, say, in September. But, um, but I was very excited to hear that that's something that you are at least aspiring to create. And I wonder if you, um, if there has been any kind of a vision about how that might look. Absolutely. So after coming out of the last meeting, we now know that we probably can't pull off something in September. But what we will try to do is an event during uh, National Coming Out Day, which is typically the second Sunday in October. And so that was the day that we would, that Philly Pride Presents would host what's called Outfest. So we want to do something in the space that Outfest would have happened in, which is the neighborhood, which is, you know, between 13th and, and Walnut and down to 12th Street, down to Locust and Spruce. And so we want to do an event then. We're unclear if we can organize a march as well, because we didn't have a Pride March this year because of COVID restrictions. But our vision is to hold some kind of festival, street event uh, with performers, with community, with music and, and all the things. And so that's a loose vision. But I know that after we have this next meeting around structure, that the following meeting is going to be about logistics of the event. So we will have more information after that meeting happens, which 
I believe will happen within the next few weeks. You know, I think that some people who are not as tuned in to the LGBTQ plus community uh, might actually experience some surprise that there has been this sort of turmoil or these conflicts within the community. Uh, I sort of liken it to colorism, which, mm. you know, in which in the black community, folks mm-hmm. can be discriminated against because of the shade of their skin. And here it is, the LGBTQ plus community, which you would think would be embracing and, and inclusive, but has been anything but in some sectors. And I wonder if you can shine a bit of light on what um, some of the the observations and criticisms have been about the community here in Philadelphia. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. That points back to the flag, right? You mentioned the black and brown stripes on the flag that was introduced um, in Philadelphia by Amber Heights a few years ago, who was the director of the Office of LGBT Affairs in the mayor's office. I was one of the folks instrumental instrumental in doing organizing work around addressing racism in LGBTQ spaces in Philadelphia. And I worked in nonprofit in LGBTQ nonprofit spaces for almost 10 years. So I got to see up close and personal racism, anti-blackness, transphobia, and all and all the isms, right? kind of rear its ugly head in these organizations. I saw the bars create racialized dress code policies, right? No Tims, no hoodies. And we know that in Philadelphia, who wears Tims and hoodies, right? Black and brown folks. And so we saw the racialized dress code policies. We saw the retaliation against black and brown employees at area nonprofits that were focused on LGBTQ communities. We saw transphobia up close and personal when it came to directors of those organizations. And so, you know, the problem with, with, the LGBTQ community is that white people who are LGBTQ assume that because they're marginalized along the lines of sexuality and gender, that they can't be anti-Black or racist, right? Like, oh, we're we're in this this together. And they don't acknowledge that they have white privilege often. And they try to make it seem like we're all just, we, we're all are on an even playing field. And that's not true. Look at who holds the power in this city, in a city that's mostly black and brown, right? A city that's mostly black and brown, you have white folks who who lead organizations. Philly Pride Presents has been around for, for 28 plus years and has never had black or brown folks in leadership. That's a problem in Philadelphia, right? It's always had white leadership. Mazzoni Center has only had white leadership. That's an LGBTQ organization that I worked for. And that was when I started to organize because I noticed that the board was mostly white, at the time, actually all white, that the upper management was all white, and that the frontline staff, I was a frontline staff person, was black, mostly black and brown people. There has to be a conversation around racial equity in these spaces because we black and brown folks can lead and we should be leading in in some cases and we're not because people are in these positions for years and they don't share power they don't share the space at the table with us i think that in some respects even though it was a very cataclysmic change it sounds like it's a change that can really open things up you know like they say if there's a an opportunity to make this community appreciate and embrace diversity and inclusion in a in a truly real way if people would like to know more 
or if they'd like to even join you in the plans that you have for the future, how do they find out more? I would say find me on social media. Uh, we're going to be rolling out a website soon, but if you find me on Twitter, that's the best and DM me there. My handle is MX. A-B-D-U-L-A-L-I-Y. And I will direct folks to a form they can fill out so they they can be added to the email list. Thank you so much for joining us today, Abdul Ali Muhammad. They are a West Philadelphia-based writer, organizer, and co-founder of the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative, who has fought against racism in Philadelphia's neighborhood and worked to hold the Office of LGBT Affairs accountable to the concerns of many Black and Brown members of the community. I can't wait to see what you all organize and come up with. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Insight. One of my fondest memories is watching America's Got Talent with my mom. One of the beauties of the show is that it gives us a chance to enjoy talents from unexpected places. Well, we have a Philly connection right now. Randy Green, a.k.a. R. Son, the voice of reason. He is with a band called Gangsta Grass, and uh, they just performed this week, and it was a, an amazing performance. And we have with us, uh, should I call you Randy or Arson? How do you prefer? Arson is fine. Arson is fine. Okay, so, yeah. all right. Describe to us what it was like to get out on the stage and face Simon Cowell and all the other judges. First, let me say, like I said, being a Philly guy, being here with you extra special um but for for me personally you know having known what america's got talent has done and and that kind of thing as far as i had ever seen they never really stepped into a lot of hip-hop circles right and so uh, for me personally what i was doing was brand new i didn't know that they were ready for me (laughs) to be for for dolio and i to be totally honest i'm just fortunate enough to be together with such an incredible band of musicians that we were able to really sort of shock the world with what we were doing. Well, let me set the stage a little bit because you go on stage and you're a very diverse group. Some of the folks there look like they would be in Nashville on one of the stages Mm -hmm. there. And and then there's you and uh, one of your other colleagues. And so the group Gangsta Grass combines two different genres And so I wonder if you can describe what your music is like. We are the world's greatest bluegrass hip hop band, probably because we're the only (laughs) real bluegrass hip hop band. Wrench, our lead singer and the the gentleman playing the guitar, the guy with the with the beautiful black hat. He put this whole thing together uh, years ago and came up with the concept. He's been a musician and music producer for a very long time. Uh, He grew up with his dad playing a lot of country music for him. But he's about my age. uh, So he came up, you know, his hip hop was really starting to take off. So he got into a lot of hip hop when he was young as well. So the two of the the two musical tastes and the two cultures really were what brought him brought him up when he was putting together his music. He was producing for for hip hop artists and was considering putting some banjo on there or like a sample like that. And they weren't about it. So he's like, I'll do it myself. When he put the band together and created the entity of Gangsta Grass, he was purposefully putting the two sounds together and adding beats to a lot of bluegrass stuff and having, you know, banjos and fiddles and mandolins and dobro and all that kind of stuff. So when I joined, this was after the first album came out when they had, they had done the, the, theme song to the TV show Justified, another MC, and then I joined so he can go on tour. He had known Dolio, our our current uh, other MC with us. 
he'd known Dolio for a couple of years. They were in a band together. When Wrench wanted to go on tour, he needed an MC because the guy that did the first album wasn't able to go. So he reached out to Dolio and Dolio wasn't able to go. Dolio and I have known each other for 20 years. We met in a cypher at Penn State. And so Dolio called me and was like, yo, this guy wants to, he needs an MC to do this thing with him. Call me up. Long story short, I do a show with him on a Wednesday night here in Philly, hop in the van with him that night, him and the three guys that were in the band at the time. And we did three shows that weekend in North Carolina and we've been rocking out ever since. Um, and so the lineup has changed a little bit. Uh, the only people that are still with the band from that first tour were my, myself and Wrench. We're really trying to do something with this where we are able to create something that shatters the, the idea of genre in, in, in American music. What I love about the music is that it is a perfect blending. The bluegrass harmonies are so sweet. And then you leaven that with, with the hip hop part of it. And it all just comes together really beautifully. And what I thought was interesting is that when you all got on stage, because you are very eclectic in, in your look, Simon and some of the judges were, uh, looked a little skeptical, right? You know, they were so, yeah. they were like, uh, show me, you know, they were, I guess they were not sure what you were going to do or how you were going to perform. And then, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You blew them away. You really did. You got a standing ovation. That is very often the case. People see us together. Even It's even weirder when we just tell them what we do. Like we're a bluegrass hip hop band. <laughs> there, you Very often you get a lot of eyebrows raised and that sort of thing. But when they hear it, when they really hear the music, because one of the things we've had to, we've explained to people is that this is not a gimmick. These, you know, these are not like... My MC, my partner on the mic, Dolio the Sleuth, is an amazing MC. He is a phenomenal MC. I tell myself that I've only got a couple of skills, but one of them is I, I do this rhyme thing pretty well. And, you know, I've been involved in, in really creating my own music for about the last 25 years. Like, this is the only thing I can really do, so I need to be really good at it. Dan, our banjo player, is a phenomenal banjo player. And Wrench is as a producer and a, a guitar player. Everybody in the band plays multiple instruments. Farrow's amazing on the fiddle. He's even better on the bass. Everybody is coming into this with with a skill set that's not, you know, assembled from. Yeah, you're at the top of your degree. game. And yeah, you these, all are, came these are all very talented cats. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. We when we when we're doing this, this is all 100 percent real, real hip hop music and real bluegrass music. And it's just sort of melded together, which is a lot easier than people would have thought. You it, know, it when, blends beautifully. It really is a different kind of music. And I love I love bluegrass. I love some of the modern bluegrass that's been coming out lately. I love the harmonies and I love the banjo. But having the 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 hip hop element on it just brings it to a whole different level. One of the other things I, I loved about I love about the band is that in your pre-performance interview, you were, the band was talking about how your music is about bringing people together. And in these somewhat divisive times, it's a wonderful message to share. And I wonder if you could tell us more about that. 
it really is the idea that both hip hop music and, and bluegrass music and the cultures were born of it's a very folk centered music. You know, in hip hop culture, you have a, you have a cypher, right? So you got a bunch of dudes just kind of hanging out rhyming. Well, in, in bluegrass culture, it's the same thing. You just have a pick where, you know, one guy's playing this thing and, you know, they're trading off solos and that sort of thing. And once you get people to understand that, the creative processes in a lot of this stuff is the same. So when we were going in initially, you know, we go into places initially and they hear the idea of bluegrass with hip hop, their thought process around hip hop is that it's, you know, it's violent and this, that, and the other thing, forgetting the fact that in, in bluegrass, there's an entire subgenre of bluegrass called murder ballads, <laughs> right? And they're all stories about lovers that killed their, their lover or their ex lover or their, yeah. their best friend or whatever. And this is, this is, has existed since, you know, bluegrass existed because it was just people telling stories. So when you get to the, the real root of the, of the two concepts that they're both very much the same and not as different as people think they are, you're able to really connect them. When you're able to build on a foundation of commonalities, then it's easier to sort of talk to somebody. Right. Uh, when we put out our new album last year, the title came together. The title, No Time for Enemies, came out of that sort of thinking. Like we, we, it was right around when the pandemic started and everything got locked down. And we were doing a, a, a live stream. We do one every week uh, on our Twitch channel. We were doing a live stream and I was just talking. And I was like, look, there's no time for enemies right now. This this is a whole thing where the entire country is in this thing together where this is a, a part of all of our lives and we all have to work our way through this it just sort of stuck you know the idea of no time for enemies which is a thing we've been on for a while and we're trying to sort of spread that message to the world like all of our lives would be a lot easier if we're at the very least trying to get to a point where i'm not trying to take anything from you you're not trying to take anything from me we're all just trying to live a positive life and create art and music and learn together and be okay with it. If we want to hear more about Gangster Grass, where are the different places where we can find you? If you put Gangster Grass into the internet anywhere, it'll bring you to us. So, you know, we're on all your, your social media, uh, your Twitters and your Instagrams and your Facebooks. I think we're still on Black Planet somewhere. You might be able to find us on GeoCities. I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, any of the, the, the major and uh, GangsterGrass.com will take you to all of our stuff and tell you where all our shows are coming up. We're good. To, we're getting back out on the road finally, which is really cool. We're just excited to be able to to get the message out to the people and and let folks know what we're doing. Wow, that's a beautiful thing. And the best of luck with America's Got Talent. And Thank you. Thank uh, you we'll much. be watching and rooting for you. Randy Green, a.k.a. Our Son, the voice of reason. He's one of the members of Gangsta Grass, Bluegrass and Hip Hop combined. It's really a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, shout out to the whole Gangsta Grass team and my Black Tribbles family. We, we in here. You can listen to all of today's interviews by going to our station website and typing in keyword community. You can also listen on the iHeartRadio app, keyword Lorraine with one R. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lorraine Ballard. I'm Lorraine Ballard Morrill, and I stand for service to our community and media that empowers. What will you stand for? You've been listening to Insight, and thank you. My mind can make Mount Everest out of a Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.